Hey, Anand, thank you so much for coming on Startup Share today and uh, talking to us about Zykara. I'm really interested in learning about all of the um, the interesting features you're adding to the accounting process. I, I'm a, a little bit of an accounting nerd and I love talking about accounts receivables and things like that. So I, uh, we're really going to have fun getting into that story. But before we do, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you sort of got started in this journey. Sure. Thank you so much, Double, for having me, uh, first of all. Um, so, you know, my story really began at birth. Um, <laughs> My, yeah, my, my father actually moved to the U.S. Uh, about a, a year, six months before I was born. Um, kind of came with no network, no plan, so to speak. Brought my mom uh, over. They settled on Los Angeles. You know, my mom is actually resistant to the cold temperature, so we landed <laughs> in sunny California. Um, you know, from there, my father was kind of looking at uh, different businesses. We had an entrepreneurial background, you know, with my grandfather, uh, who's in the construction space uh, in, you know, pre-partition uh, India, uh, had oh, okay. to kind of start over in Bombay in the very early days, one of the first developers in Bombay uh, back in the day. And, you know, anyway, that carried through, um, you know, with my father. He wound up uh, landing in the uh, wholesale luxury goods business, specifically watches, importing Swiss watches from Switzerland, and you know identified good arbitrage with selling to the jewelry districts in downtown Los Angeles, and then expanding nationally from there. Uh, for a period of time, you know we had you know Costco as a premier client, various wholesale chains, um, and that business went very well. But my experience with the company was very interesting. I um, you know, apparently my first word was Seiko watches because <laughs> days we were importing uh, a lot of watches and I was, you know, crawling uh, in our, at that time, you know, one bedroom. Um, and so from there, you know, I had a basically my, you know, early childcare was actually in the office. Um, so I was exposed <laughs> to uh, a lot of my, my father's conversations with, with different uh, suppliers and, and customers. Uh, I was actually working with my mother. She was in charge of the finances um, as it went. Uh, so I was helping her with the kind of accounting and kind of dealing with uh, receivables at, at age probably like five onwards. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's definitely, the subject is very uh, dear with dear to me. So you learned accounting before you learned how to count. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, you know, kind of bizarre in that sense, but uh, it was definitely a valuable experience for me as I, you know, grew uh, and developed. Um, so, you know, that business was very successful. Uh, you know, it made us, it, it gave us a good opportunity in the U.S. You know, my father actually, again, like I said, didn't really have a direction until he landed um, into the watch business. Um, so from there, I, I'll transition kind of into uh, education. Um, I attended USC. That's where I um, had a lot of great experiences, of course. Um, I also met and forged um, great relationships with my existing co-founder um, in the sense of that's where we really began working together. Um, you know, actually, uh, you know, Ravi Sharma was a previous guest of yours. Yep. Uh, and he and I worked together at the Indian Association uh, of uh, USC, SCIA at the time as social chairs together. So we nice. kind of developed a, a bond and a working relationship. Uh, from there, I actually became president of that association the following year. Um, and after USC, I uh, had a brief stint at, with Smith Barney, 
which was later acquired by Morgan Stanley. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, my, and this is now we're crossing uh, 2008, 2009. My father's health wasn't doing too well, too good. Um, so I kind of took a step back, uh, started helping him with uh, some real estate investments that he had made um, as he retired from the watch business. Uh, so we worked together, had some uh, uh, development and investing opportunities in India throughout, you know, Bangalore, Delhi, Mumbai. Um, and that's where, you know, I spent a lot of time there kind of learning the ropes of a, a different way of doing business. As I'm sure you know, uh, yeah. business in India is very different from business in the U.S. Uh, with a lot of um, non-traditional standards uh, when it comes <laughs> to execution of things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was very, uh, that accelerated my growth, so to speak, as an entrepreneur. Uh, I think when you have experiences like that, it, it definitely kind of drives you in a different direction of, of looking at things. Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. That was really uh, kind of the early days. Uh, from there, when I came back, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do next. You know, investments were deployed. We were comfortable financially, um, but I took a, a, a liking to financial services. Uh, and so I jumped into uh, working with a couple Fortune 100 companies, uh, New York Life, Mass Mutual. Got to work with small business owners in a different capacity, you know, in terms of managing their finances and getting them secured for their future, uh, because, you know, it's very important for me uh, in, my, in our experience as a family. Um, so that was a great uh, learning curve in terms of getting to know the, the challenges of other businesses and what they face from a financial mm -hmm. standpoint. I then kind of broadened out, expanded with a, a partner uh, working in an independent firm for another couple of years. Uh, again, you know, same setup, but uh, a little bit more hands-on. Uh, you know, when you're not under the hood of a, a Fortune 100 company, you have a lot more yep. freedom to uh, kind of market yourself and expand. Um, so that was, you know, kind of the setup for me. Uh, at the end of 2019, I was kind of reevaluating my, my position in life and what I wanted to do for the next, you know, 10 years, so to speak. Uh, and so that's when I had a conversation with Ravi, um, like I mentioned earlier, and his father. Uh, and there is a serial entrepreneur who I've, you know, had a relationship with. For the previous couple of years, he, he kind of wanted to, you know, share with me different business ideas and, you know, we talked about them, uh, but it wasn't until the end of 2019 where we sat down, had a conversation, and that's where he kind of shared with me his uh, vision for my company now, Zykara. Um, you know, we touched on our mutual experiences of dealing with poor customer behavior um, in the sense of, you know, invariably every small business owner has a customer to uh, quite frequently, uh, where they just, you know, didn't pay or pay at all when it comes to invoices and, and the financial obligations that they had. Um, so for us, you know, deal, and, then, and then we looked at the solutions that existed, um, you know, namely collection agencies and, and, and legal services that really, you know, took, they, they really take uh, the lifeblood out of a transaction. Uh, you know, they end up either on the collection side, taking out, you know, roughly 50% on the back end, and, yep. um, you know, the legal system, as I'm sure, you know, everyone knows, uh, can be quite resource draining. So, you know, we were kind of just talking about Zykara. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that until we kind of get into it. Yeah, in more, absolutely. You know, 
Um, but that's really my, my, my journey with Zycar. I started uh, March of last year, right when the pandemic <laughs> hit, uh, which was quite an experience on multiple fronts. Um, and really, I think, set the stage for, for how uh, I intended to lead the company and my vision for it moving forward. Fantastic, fantastic. I love your background in uh, sort of understanding, uh, having a really good deep understanding of accounts receivable mm -hmm. and managing that for your small business because that, that is really the important thing every small business has to face and uh, has to go through. Um, so I, I, I'm, you're sort of uniquely positioned in that you develop that understanding very early on. Yeah, um, it's kind of fate that I wound up with Zycara. You know, <laughs> like, I, I, I couldn't imagine a scenario in life where you know, most people go through different life experiences, but then they end up landing into a position to actually uh, um, really take that experience and, and, and grow into it with the, with the right. public markets and, and do things for others. Absolutely. And yeah, and, and, and the fact that you've sort of developed post-2007-2008 uh, post crash uh, mm -hmm. in the financial industries, you sort of developed that understanding as well. So that's fantastic. So now let's get into Zykara. I understand you uh, sort of joined with uh, a co-founder um, yes. and uh, he sort of had this idea and is, you sort of are executing on that idea. I, I really love that, uh, that, that type of a setup. Um, tell me a little bit about what the initial vision was for the company. You know, you, we, we talked about accounts receivable, but how are you different from any other accounts receivable company? Sure. So uh, I'll, I'll kind of touch a little bit of more background there. Uh, you know, one of the experiences that in their hand that uh, kind of drove this idea with him, and it's, again, something that I've experienced as well, uh, is, he, you know, he had a customer, he was, you know, in the hotel uh, uh, supply space, he had a customer who started several chains of, of hotels, small hotels, um, you know, ended up buying X amount of goods from him. Relationship went decent, I'm sure, in the, in the early days. And then there was a period where he was expanding, so his order size went up, uh, mm -hmm. and he bought a lot of goods from him. Of course, credit is very normal when you're dealing with supply yep. uh, and wholesale. And so he, you know, took that and then that same customer ended up apparently uh, acquiring uh, various other goods for this hotel setup from different suppliers. So there was like now a network of vendors who had offered credit to this one uh, customer and that customer ended up just not choosing not to pay these people uh, in their included. And so that's where, you know, the idea of promoting accountability between uh, businesses uh, kind of came into in this perspective. And then I, of course, expanded on that uh, more recently. But that's really where it all started is that kind of experience um, of, of dealing with non-paying customers. So while there are the traditional solutions that I mentioned earlier with collection services um, and legal services, and now, of course, there are platforms that are kind of digitizing the collection process when it comes to uh, communicating with customers, there's still no accountability measure, so to speak, between businesses. So that's where we came up with the idea of enabling businesses to publish defaulting or delinquent customers so that the entire ecosystem remains healthy, right? So now you cannot be a, a, a customer and just start buying goods from 10 different suppliers without now having to face public accountability and then right. Now your potential future vendors will now see this behavior because it's been published in a verified format. 
Um, so that's really the core essence of the early days of Zakara was accounting for the bad debt that comes from those kind of relationships. Right. Uh, and, and really, again, you know, late payments is something that's uh, the precursor to that, but bad, bad debt was the really early focus. Publishing companies who are not paying. But we also wanted to give uh, a platform for them to initiate a conversation, right? So really the idea was a business would upload their invoices that were delinquent already, uh, give the customer an opportunity to make good and, and make the payment, and if not, then provide an outlet for publication. Um, and when I jumped on, that was, you know, very fascinating to me, you know, leveraging in today's digital world, reputation management. You know, today we have the applications are in the sense of more B2C consumer focus where you have the Better Business Bureau, you have Yelp, Google Reviews, Trustpilot. Those platforms are designed to give uh, consumers outlets for communicating complaints. Um, but what they don't do is help drive the bottom line, which is collecting an invoice. So what we've done is taken that reputation management approach, a publication mm -hmm. in, a, in a way, and applied that to invoicing and putting a little bit more public pressure on businesses to, to make payments on time rather than, you know, kind of taking it easy, so to speak. Right, uh, right, right. And, you know, the, the kind of legacy challenges of small business. Um, and then from there, you know, in March last year when I jumped on, I had a lot of communication within my network of business owners, you know, having worked with them for, for two decades, three decades, actually. Right. Uh, I can't believe I'm, I'm turning 36 <laughs> next month. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, from there, I, I realized that the problem is not necessarily just um, getting business owners to pay on time. It's more of a lack of visibility into the real-time finances of your customer. Mm. That's where we came up with adding on a scoring mechanism, a real-time scoring mechanism that will take the invoices that we have in our platform and provide a, a real-time update on you know, the, uh, the due date of an invoice, uh, 15 days, 30 days, different scales so that uh, a vendor can then see where this business stands in terms of their financial health in real time. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so that, that, that's a component that I'm, I'm kind of most eager uh, about. Um, and then, you know, the other aspect that causes a lot of drop-off um, in on-time payments is poor communication, you know, timely communication every month. You know, I remember, you know, when my father at the end of every month would have to make his calls to, to customers say, you know, invoices due, where's yep. my money kind of thing. Um, and so what we've done is kind of generated automation on that front, provided timely communication so that that takes that responsibility, um, I'll, I'll, most of that responsibility off the business owner's hands so that we provide that type of communication that's appropriate at the right time points. Uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I love this idea of sort of starting, you know, addressing the bad debt issue uh, for small businesses, I think is very important. And like you said, the traditional players, you know, the business can recover up essentially pennies on the dollar, right? right. Because uh, the, the fees are so high. And then if you do have to go down the legal process, again, uh, the, it, it's extremely inconvenient, <laughs> to say yeah. the least. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I love this idea. Um, the real-time scoring essentially 
it takes uh, the focus not just from bad debt, but mm-hmm. to all sort of accounts receivable, right? Right. Uh, so talk to us about that transition that, you know, you started with the, the focus on the bad debts, but now you're sort of expanding that focus. Um, what was the thinking behind that? And uh, uh, how, what was that decision like? Sure. So, you know, again, you know, the bad debt side of things, that's, so just to give you a little bit more background there, you know, statistically from studies by Sage Group and other, you know, accounting firms, uh, you know, roughly 12% of invoices are paid late in the U.S. Mm. Um, out of that, another you know 10% end up as bad debt. So you know, looking at that, we were, I was considering you know that's one percent, so to speak, of all invoices. Um, right. But for us to to kind of grow into a large, scalable, uh, huge mega opportunity, you know, for myself and the team. Um, I thought we should expand into a complete cycle, right? Because it's not just about bad debt. Like I said, you know, there are billing and automation challenges. There are credit risk data challenges. And so when it came to that aspect specifically, um, we looked at the existing players. You have uh, Dun & Bradstreet, Experian, uh, and similar. I, I, you know, those are the two big ones when it comes to small business credit reporting. And these are the same tools that, collection agencies use to put pressure on, uh, on the collection calls. They say, right. if you don't pay, we'll report you to these bureaus. Uh, so right. Now, the challenge with these bureaus is they get their information theoretically nine to 12 months, sometimes six months after an invoice is delinquent, right? <laughs> and so that goes back to the original problem that I mentioned is if I'm doing business with a new customer, I don't know what's happened with them, you know, until it was, if it was, even if it was reported even, uh, you know, six, nine, 12 months ago. So that creates a host of challenges. Um, and so what we thought was, since we are a platform that's bringing on invoices and helping, you know, automate the payment cycle, why not take that visibility of the invoices within our platform and apply it and make it more real time? So that's how we're kind of distinguishing from those legacy players is, Look, there's data that, you know, you can pay $1,500 for a report on Dun & Bradstreet for one client. Maybe it's useful. Most likely, if you're a small business, it's not. Um, and so for us, we thought that cost, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the pricing of that, it was just prohibitively expensive if you're a small business owner. Yeah. And then the second aspect is, again, the fact that even if it's reported, which is, again, not maybe 20% of the time uh, from what, you know, the statistics I've gathered, that you really don't know who you're dealing with um, besides maybe re- reference checks, which again can be manipulated and, and the like. So right. we wanted to provide uh, um, real accountability for businesses and real uh, data that I can make as a small business owner an informed decision. Right. No, that's fantastic. And, and I love this idea of, you know, holding uh, people accountable for the decisions they make as soon as they make them. So, you know, even if they're delay, uh, delaying on the payment within the time frame, right? Yeah. And one thing, uh, double that I want to add is yeah. we're not taking this, you know, publication aspect to be punitive. We, you know, when we do give uh, a business an opportunity to make good, rectify the situation, and we also focus on the other side of the coin. We also, part of our scoring mechanism, you know, the algorithm that we're developing is to mm-hmm. reward good customer behavior. So we're also... Good. 
uh, taking the good side where if, if a business pays on time or if they pay early, that actually boosts the credit rating that we have in our system. So, you know, we're not trying to be punitive. We're not, we're, we're promoting accountability in the truest sense, not right. on a, not from a negative point of view, but from a um, kind of an ethics point of view. Right, right, right. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you, you joined the company, you mentioned that right at March uh, 2020, right as we were going into the pandemic, what right. was the pandemic period like? So the last 12 months, essentially, um, obviously, you know, it's hard to go to market during that time, but you're also developing the product in that time. So right. tell me sort of what you sort of accomplished in those last 12 months. Sure. So, you know, when the pandemic hit, um, that obviously separated our team. We quickly adapted to remote work. It wasn't a problem. Um, for us, it was more about how are we going to reach, you know, because a lot of business owners were shutting down, businesses was closed. It was a challenge of um, continuing that customer discovery process while the product was being worked on in, in, in parallel. Um, so in the early days between, you know, March and June, it was, it was a little challenging trying to get a hold of, of certain customers or, or, you know, relationships. Um, and then a lot of the conversations were, you know, well, we're, we're in a, quite a jam right now. Like I can't even think about anything else. So, you know, those challenges, um, weren't, weren't too bad for us because, you know, like I said, we're really trying to help businesses on this problem that they were facing at the time, which was, you know, payment and receivables. So it just gave me an opportunity to really dig in and have more meaningful conversations uh, with those business owners. And then from there, internally, we were developing out, you know, our marketing strategies, language. So for us, it's really important that communication is appropriate. You know, we're dealing with financial matters, invoicing, customer relationships. One of the biggest reasons why um, businesses don't report each other traditionally is, you know, fear of losing that relationship. Uh, and so for us, it's developing the tone, the content, uh, and the context so that we can convey what we're trying to, it's, it's really a new approach, right, when it comes to receivables. So really building out that process and, and, and framing it all appropriately um, on, on the sales and marketing front. For me, it was a lot of uh, a perfect opportunity to build relationships with strategic partners um, and alliances and just building out that network uh, mostly while product was still being worked on um, at that time. So, you know, for example, I, I reached out to biz to credit try to do dig in more on, on, on credit financing for small business, um, spoke to several collection agencies uh, along the way. I can probably touch on that a little bit more later, but um, see the opportunity for us is not to necessarily replace collection agencies, but to be a precursor to them because they right. do have a role. They're not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, but the challenges with them again are their human capital costs that again, make their pricing structure so expensive on the back end. And so what we're thinking is, that gave me a lot of opportunity to kind of think about, you know, the entire landscape uh, and, and figure out how we can plug where we fit um, in that cycle. Uh, and so, you know, for the last 12 months, it was mostly more market research, refining our product, having conversations with different customers, talking to stakeholders, investors, um, you know, so we, you know, we were also, I was actively fundraising, um, you know, I'll, 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 give a, a shameless plug for the startup steroid in a bit. But, you know, again, there was a lot of opportunity for me to have just more meaningful conversations at scale because of technology, right? With Zoom and everyone being comfortable with that. Yeah. So it was really turning that kind of 
period of isolation in a sense into actually more engagement uh, for me. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, so I know you've accomplished a lot. We spoke a little bit beforehand and now you essentially have a product that's almost ready to go. Yes. Um, remind me again, when are you launching this? Uh, yeah, so we're actually product? launching uh, mid-March. So mid -March, okay. in, uh, approximately 10 days. Perfect. Beautiful. So uh, that that's exciting. And uh, exciting. the fact that, uh, you know, all the other pieces are coming together is, is fantastic. So now once you have the product in the market, what's your, what's the next step? What's, what are your next 12 months look like? Uh, what are you planning uh, uh, to sort of really get the word out there? Sure. So, uh, well, yeah, I could touch on uh, uh, several aspects of that. Um, you know, again, you know, a lot of the 12 months, since product development was, was going on, gave me a lot of background information, a lot of things to put together. Now for us for the next 12 months is really putting our product in the hands of, of customers, of business owners, and really seeing what sticks as far as, um, you know, our entire thesis, right? Like we're, we're, it's still a thesis at this point. Sure, we've had a lot of customer discovery calls, but until we get it in the hands of users, um, you know, there's still uh, certain aspects that we want to see if we can enhance and make better. So for the next, I would say 60 days, it's really um, getting our, our product in the hands of the pipeline that we have. Uh, we're currently on our, on our website and landing pages and, and marketing, generating a, a wait list for our launch, right? So, right. so you already that, have a wait list. You already have people who are ready to use the product. Yes. So that's Fantastic. what we're developing, uh, you know, mostly at the start of 2021 um, is that wait list. And from there, again, having those conversations, a lot more, you know, customer discovery when it comes to the product side of things now, more rather than the theoretical side. Mm -hmm. uh, again, the channel partners is another aspect that's really important for us. So one of the most common questions I get is, okay, you're developing this publication platform um, to report delinquent pairs, but who's going to care in day one, right? I mean, right. every network has that chicken and egg problem at the beginning when it comes to yep. how do you get people to, to use it, visibility, all the like. So one of the strategies that um, I thought through was one of the key channel partners for us is industry associations, right? Mm. So you have... You know, your hotel suppliers association, your auto parts association, your jewelers association, all different uh, industries have a, a kind of a governing body, so to speak, that is there, is designed to promote a healthy ecosystem, right? Yep. So that aligns with our vision and our mission to create accountability and transparency in a healthy ecosystem. So for us, it, for me specifically, it's it's aggressively pursuing a lot of the conversations I had, being able to now demo the product with them uh, in an appropriate way. And, and the value proposition there double is like twofold. One is of course, um, we can provide some valuable information to them, right? As if I was, if I'm the Jewelers Association of California and uh, I get a, a monthly list of delinquent payers, that's something that I can then convey to my constituents as, a, as an industry help my membership uh, renewal retention um, in a way. So, you know, it's just working out logistics for that. And then yep. to complement that, we also have a kind of a robust referral system that we've developed. So employing that with them um, so that they can plug Zykara, we can then also plug them as partners 
and, and create, again, that sense of accountability through industry peer, uh, uh, not peer pressure, but industry peer recognition. <laughs> uh, peer pressure is more of a high school. But, you know, um, so that's really one of the key channel partners. The other key channel partner that I'm going to be aggressively pursuing are CPAs. Uh, CPAs are trusted advisors when it comes to the finances of small business owners. Uh, and so there's a natural fit there to then, again, plug a, a kind of referral opportunity as well as giving them uh, a way to convey to their customers that are their, yeah, their customers that, you know, we're working with companies that are promoting their financial health. Right. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to develop win-win scenarios for us, our channel partners. And then the last piece is, you know, our publication list is theoretically uh, a natural lead generation or collection agencies, right? Because here's an invoice that's been deemed delinquent by the business owner themselves. One of the challenges is figuring out when do I turn to a collection agency or when do I kind of yep. decide to pursue more aggressive uh, uh, steps. So for us, we have a natural process within our platform that kind of helps them identify that. Uh, and so, you know, when an invoice ideally gets paid, but if it doesn't and the publication does happen, we don't want the story to just end there. Um, so while they can still collect on that published invoice, you know, their customer can have that removed or, or marked settled uh, right. in our publication. So that's, of course, you know, the low cost approach. But if they do want, you know, to take anything they can um, from a third party source, we then have relationships with collection agencies to say, hey, here's our here's a here's a database of pre vetted invoices yep. that are natural fit for your, you know, your process. Um, right. And so it, it's kind of. Uh, to put it in a way, a frenemy approach, you know, the Apple, Facebook, <laughs> Google, like, you know, you have to work together right. to kind of solve the problems and, and integrate yeah. in a way. Um, and, and they, again, like I said, they do have a very uh, key purpose for helping. Uh, no, absolutely. And it's a huge value add for your customers also, because uh, it, it's sort of the last resort, but it's sorry. available now. Yeah, that's another nightmare trying to figure out. Um, um, you know, which collection agent to turn to, how to negotiate with them, deal with that whole yep. process. For us, it's a simple opt-in. We have the invoice already. This is our, our, our partner. You can choose from a list. However, you know, it, it makes sense. And then it just gets handled for you. So again, taking right. out that stress of the receivables process off the hands of the small business owner. Beautiful, beautiful. So this sounds like an amazing business opportunity and uh, sounds like you're looking at all the right pieces. What's the grand vision for this? You know, the five, three, five, ten years out, what do you hope to accomplish? Do you want to be the next sort of Intuit and <laughs> have a new platform for yourself? Or do you see an exit uh, in that time frame? Yes. Yeah, so for me, I, you know, I was weighing a lot of different thoughts on this subject. You know, we are very early in our cycle. So I'm trying to limit my, my you know, <laughs> putting my brain power yeah. on that aspect. But, you know, of course, you know, every night as an entrepreneur, you go to sleep and start thinking and, and, and dreaming of the future. Um, so for me, there are so many pathways we can take this though. Like, you know, when it comes to the grand vision, um, I would like us to be the next, you know, supplement or, or sorry, suppl uh, replace, you know, Dun & Bradstreet on the credit data side. They're a public company. Yeah. Bill.com is another big player. I, I didn't realize that they're, they're, you know, $15 billion valuation for Bill.com. Um, right. So for me, that's kind of like a great a target, so to speak, in terms of mm -hmm. what to achieve. Um, and so, you know, we'll weigh our options along the way. For us, 
we're integrating payments into that into our platform. So there's an ISV relationship with Blue Snap, so we can facilitate B2B payments. So again, everything should be housed within Zycara, so a business owner doesn't need to plug in any solutions when it comes to once an invoice is created, once they do the hard work of right. getting a product or a service and, and, and contributing it to a, a customer, we want to take every step after that off their hands. So the, really the grand vision is to be, you know, a bill.com, a Dun and Bradstreet, but, but take it to another level in terms of really making it frictionless and giving business owners like all the tools they need in the platform so that they don't have to kind of scramble to put things together or have any drop-offs along the way. Um, as far as potential acquirers, like I said, you know, on the payment space, you know, you have your PayPal, you know, we have a relationship with Blue Snap Stripe. There's an opportunity for them to onboard uh, the small business segment, which they're, it's probably the most growing segment right now, mm -hmm. um, or what they're trying to grow the most. And so it has the highest payment volume. So for them, it's a great opportunity to be plugged into a, a network of small business owners. Um, again, on the other side of the thing spectrum, you have uh, Dun & Bradstreet who are, you know, looking to amplify their credit data, um, and have more access to, again, this hard to reach small business demographic. Right. Um, and so you have that whole spectrum. And, you know, for me, it's a matter of, and for us as a team, having coming to the decision whether we, we do want to get acquired and, and reach it to a certain scale and get acquired mm -hmm. um, or, or take the company public and, again, be, you know, uh, another big player in that space, another uh, into it. Um, they would, of course, also be a, a potential uh, acquirer as well. So there's, a, there's right. endless possibilities on that front because we're addressing the whole spectrum of, of finance for small business. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, great job in explaining that story to us. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, by the way, last question, is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't? Any sort of final thoughts that you want to leave us with? Well, there's two things I think I would like to kind of share is, yeah. you know, I, we talked a lot about the financial side of things, you know, the financial struggles. Um, what's really driving me personally is the emotional side of things. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, growing up every month, seeing at the end of the month when, when payments are due, the, you know, the, the mood of the family dynamic can get influenced uh, by those business challenges, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, and again, because I was exposed to it at such an early age and, and it stuck with me and I'm an only child. So for me, I'm, I'm far more observant typically, uh, uh, I guess, uh, than, than your average child in that sense. So for me, it's being able to not only provide that financial comfort for small business owners in terms of taking that receivable process off their hands, but also helping with the emotional side, the family side and, and kind of just giving people, business owners, more of their time for themselves and their family. Right. But that's really, and, and then another aspect that ties into that is my entire team uh, from start to finish. Again, I was, you know, kind of plugged into them, right? There was a few of us that were existing prior to me jumping on as CEO, um, but we've developed such a family bond level that I, I, I can't even describe. I've never felt uh, a relationship like that with any other group of people that I've worked with. Uh, and so they've been very dedicated. You know, we've, we've dealt with a lot of loss because of COVID the last year. Uh, you know, personally, family, uh, as well as other challenges. And, you know, we really stuck together. So I think, yeah, the only other aspect I wanted to share is kind of our, our commitment and perseverance as a team and as a family. Uh, we actually, 
uh, a, a lot of our weekly calls, um, you know, we, we always call ourselves the Zai family, you know, Zai being Zai Kara right. family. And so that's how we address each other. And, and that's something that we also want to bring um, uh, more of a community sense. There is a vision again for that aspect, but I, I guess, you know, we didn't quite get into it, but it's not just the receivable side. We do want to create a, a community for small business as well. There's an opportunity yeah. to, you know, I don't want to get into something that hasn't been theoretically, you know, fully vetted out, but you know, an opportunity for businesses to connect in a proper and more appropriate way. You know, you have LinkedIn and the like, but I think we can leverage a lot of matchmaking. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm right now hyper-focused <laughs> on, on, on the receivable side of things, but there's a lot right. of opportunity for us to expand. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and this is, this is, you know, this is how our minds work, right? As entrepreneurs, we want to look at all the possibilities. Yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? The, uh, yeah, I have to always rein it in because there's so many things, like I said, that, that cross my mind on a, you know, unfortunately daily basis, the way I, I, I operate mentally. Um, but, you know, I, I do want to focus purely on value driven uh, outcomes on the receivable side in the short term and then take it from there. Uh, but one thing I did touch on earlier that I didn't actually say was uh, not to, you know, shameless plug for Startup Steroid is, uh, you know, we are fundraising and most of that round has now uh, been subscribed. And, and one of the biggest uh, term sheets I received was from uh, a company that came through Startup Steroid. So just to give you, you know, your platform um, a, a little plug there, it, you know, it's, it was really literally the day I, I registered. I got an email and, uh, you know, we've been communicating over the last month and currently in heavy due diligence. And uh, uh, so thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. And thank you for doing the interview. And uh, I, I hope that, uh, you know, you're able to close out that round uh, pretty yeah. quickly here. And uh, yeah, and uh, good luck for all of, you know, uh, all of the things you have lined up. I'm really excited for you and uh, you. excited for what Zykara is going to achieve. So. Uh, Thank you so much, Tom. Fantastic. Um, all right. With that, we'll wrap it up. Thank you. And uh, I will we'll continue the conversation uh, a, as you sort of grow into the company. Sure. Absolutely. Look forward Fantastic. to it. Fantastic.